Welcome to Talking New Energy, a podcast from LCP Delta, the new energy experts. In the podcast, we'll be exploring how the energy transition is unfolding across Europe through conversations with guests from the leading edge of the transition. Hello, and welcome to the episode. Today, we're looking at the world of energy storage, and in particular, battery storage. Now, I remember reading in textbooks about the electricity system that electricity cannot be stored. Well, we all know that's wrong. It has been stored for a long time in batteries. Point was, it couldn't be stored cost-effectively or practically for the electricity system in batteries. That has certainly changed. And one of the places in the world where that's changed the most has been the UK or the, the GB market, where we've had a, well, explosion might be too strong, I guess we'll see what they think of that word, in energy storage in, the, in recent years. So to explore this topic, I'm joined by three uh, fellow experts from LCP Delta. John Ferris. Hello, John. Hello, John. Rajiv Gogna. Hello, John. Hi. And Chris Matson. Hi, John. Um, so let's start by painting a picture of where storage is today. Roughly how much battery storage do we have in the UK? I'd like to start off with that. So I think it's about 1.7 gigawatts, somewhere between one and a half and two gigawatts battery storage. And contextualizing that, Chris, total generation in the in GB in the UK? Uh, so peak demand is about 60 gigawatts. So you need about 60 gigawatts of firm capacity. So yeah, yeah. So that's, that's 1.6 out of 60. Something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. And if we are, re- if our listeners were imagining a curve, what does that curve look like? Straight line, exponential. What's the shape of it? I mean, I think at the moment it's exponential. With We've got, um, and the others might have some other numbers, but I know they're about three gigawatts cleared in the last capacity auction. So that's for delivery in what, 25, 2025, 2026. And there's seven gigawatts pre-qualified for the auction taking place next month, which is for delivery in 26, 27. So that's, that seems like a pretty exponential curve, at least at the moment anyway. That's, that's very steep. Uh, and how quickly will that get built? Are we talking one year, five years? Or might some of it never get built? So, some of it might never get built. So I guess the, the seven gigawatts is only pre-qualified. It might um, it might not clear in the auction, so it might, yeah. it might not go ahead. Um, I mean, I think I think we'd expect a lot of that to be coming on, on stream in the next two to three years, I thought. Wow. So, Jeeve uh, and John, I don't know if you... Is it fair to say storage has moved from the sidelines to an absolute core part of the electricity market in the UK today, or is that a bit strong? I think I think probably um, a bit strong to say an absolute core just yeah. at this stage, um, but I think all the groundwork is now there for, for it to accelerate that way. Um, storage was, was helped really to come onto the system by some quite lucrative revenue streams that really helped accelerate interest in the sector. Um, that helped the the technology and the uh, the appetite for it mature um, probably quicker than we would have expected. Um, we're now at the stage where where battery storage is a very well 
regarded technology, uh, people can see the revenue streams, people have seen the profits materializing, and that's just snowballing the uh, the interest in the sector. Um, we're seeing bigger batteries, we're seeing longer duration batteries. What sort of size are we talking about? So even only a year ago, the uh, the sort of standard batteries that would come onto the market were a half hour to, to one hour, and now very much two hour is the norm yeah. um, for, for new batteries being built. And I think- What's that in megawatts? Uh, again, maybe a year ago or so, um, we would have thought 10 megawatts was was quite big. Yeah. Then very quickly, 50 megawatts became uh, the uh, the usual size to be building. And now we're, we're looking at projects of 100 megawatt, 200 megawatt uh, to come on in the next few years. And looking at the longer term pipeline, we're still seeing growth, um, whether it's bigger projects, longer duration, the, the number of projects or the, the capacity of projects going through the planning process is in the tens of gigawatts. So a lot of those projects may struggle to get grid connections or be built in in the next few years, but the, the, the direction of travel is very clear and it's continuing that strong growth. So what's, I'm, I'm sure all our listeners appreciate the, the underlying drivers of more renewables means more variability, uh, more volatility, and therefore a business case for storage. Uh, but what are the specific, are there specific revenue streams? So when uh, companies are coming along looking at a 200 megawatt battery, where's the money? Is it in that uh, ultra fine second by second balancing of the electricity system? Is it in the intraday trading market? Is it a whole mix of things? Yeah, the, I think the, um, I mean, one of the benefits of batteries is that it can benefit from a range uh, of revenue streams and is able to dynamically jump between them. Um, and a good trader will spot those opportunities. So that is that is certainly a plus. Um, historically, for batteries, historically only really been the last couple of years, most of the money's been in frequency response, uh, and specifically the, the new dynamic containment markets. Uh, so that's that the ultra quick response exactly. second by second exactly. of the system. Uh, ultra, ultra fast uh, response. Whereas going forwards, we, we see a limited need for, for that ultra fast frequency response. Well, because the system will only need so much. It, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, and particularly as we look at those one, 200 megawatt batteries that are going to be multiple hours, uh, the real money for them is in that arbitrage and, and balancing of the system overall. Um, so actually delivering power when it's needed, uh, being able to smooth the peaks and the troughs of the day um, and capitalise on, as you said, that price volatility in the market. Yeah. And that's a change that we've seen over the last few years. And one area where the GB market is perhaps in advance of some of the other countries that we look at where long term contracts for frequency response is, is still the entry point. Uh, like the enhanced frequency response auction was to kickstart the, the the storage market in in GB, but as those markets become saturated, then battery owners are having to look at multiple markets and optimizing when and how they take their their decisions of when to charge and when to when to provide services to the grid. But presumably, there's enough confidence amongst the people building a 200 megawatt battery and in particular the people financing that battery, that those revenue streams are there? Or is there an element of, it's hard to imagine that at that scale, you can make that investment based on faith that the revenue streams will be there. Yeah. So 
uh, I know Jeeve and Chris, you spent a lot of your time doing this, but modeling those future revenue streams. How robust are those future revenue streams? So there, is, there are uncertainties. Um, I guess what the key uncertainties is your is what commodity prices do. So we have very high gas prices at the moment, and that's that's lucrative for storage because it, the prices when you're discharging are going to be very high because they're set by the price of gas typically in the in the electricity market. So that that presents an uncertainty and a risk if gas prices were to um, crash down to levels that they were a few years ago or mm. even even lower potentially. Um, but I guess one thing that that is relatively certain is the the penetration of renewables onto the GB system we know is coming. So there's large amounts of offshore wind in particular that already has you know, already has CFD contracts and so will be coming on stream yeah. over the next few years. And we know that there are going to be, there already are some, but there are going to be more and more periods across the, across the day or across the year where you have um, renewables actually setting the price of electricity at essentially a price of zero or even negative levels. So, so you that's can't... When, that's when batteries can charge. And, so you can't model that. You don't. No one knows precisely when that will happen, but you can model with a fair degree of certainty that that will happen yeah. on a certain number or a relatively predictable number of occasions throughout the year. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And I think um, as we as we look at more and more deployment uh, of storage and the assets get bigger you do need to start looking a little bit more in the details of, well, where should this asset be and who is the trader that's going to be trading that battery and are they able to capitalize on the, the within-day opportunities as well as the day-ahead opportunities as well as the balancing opportunities. So not every business case for batteries are, are equal. It's not just the macro drivers. Uh, there are those individual, uh, individual speci uh, specific issues as well. And there's a lot more confidence, I think, in that sort of half hour to one hour, or, or even the sort of the shorter term services, where where we are seeing some investors and, and developers take a bit more of a view on how the future is going to develop, is the ones that are looking at two to four hour batteries and even longer, because at the moment the markets don't reward that, that there is no product for um, long term storage, mm. but as renewables grow, then then some developers are taking the view that they want to be the first mover and have a battery capable of providing that service. The more that people get comfortable with a business case or the lesser risk, I imagine the lower the cost of capital. So is there a bit of a feedback loop there that as the market develops, more certainty, less risk, lower cost of capital, and that just makes the economics better and better? I guess we've seen um, some of that pull back a little bit, actually, mm. recently with, with both interest rates uh, rising, if you're looking at debt financing, and also the cost of materials yeah. uh, underpinning batteries. So it's the first time we've seen a little bit of a slowdown in ability to get these projects away because of, of wider drivers, but I think overall, Yes, the, the long-term yeah. projection is that those those costs will continue to fall. Yeah. I want to pick up a point that, um, John, I think you mentioned about optimising the operation of the battery. So if you, as I think of the battery value chain, there's many different paths to it. There's finding a site, maybe come back to where the battery is being built in a minute, but finding a site, the building of it, the financing of it. But that operation of it and that 
working out when you charge it, when you discharge it, where's the most lucrative revenue streams. How specialised is that job and who's doing those sort of jobs? So we've certainly seen in the GB market the emergence of a class of company that focuses on trading batteries. It, it, it used to be that bidding into an ancillary service and getting a, a, a year-long or multi-year contract for frequency response was sufficient to, to justify an investment decision. Yep. Now there is much more merchant risk that um, markets like dynamic containment are not long-term contracts, but they're, they're auctioned on a daily basis. Um, there is more capacity, um, more battery capacity overall than some of these markets can um, is that some of these markets can accommodate. So choosing which markets to bid into at what price and um, at what time is becoming um, very much a specialist specialist role. And who's fulfilling those roles? Is it, I imagine the skills are very akin to the trading desks of generators or vertically integrated uh, energy companies. So is it, EDFs, so, EONs yeah, of this world, yeah. or is it new entrants who are doing that, or combinations? So, th th there's a mix of companies, probably three types. One, you've got the incumbents with the trading desk that are, are used to trading their, their own generation assets. Yeah. You've got the uh, companies that emerged in the early days of aggregation, and they're moving more from ancillary services into the wholesale market. So the likes of Flexitricity is, is an example. And then you've got a new breed of, of entrants that are coming in, um, say the likes of Habitat, that are focused on um, trading batteries and optimising them as a specialism. Okay. Um, do you think that will carry on in, with those sort of three classes? Or do you, Chris, any views on how that will play out? I think we've, we've certainly seen a lot of consolidation um, in the market with um, particularly uh, in the last couple of years, uh, the growth of the optimizer and then the acquisition of the optimizer yeah. by, by larger desks who were looking to um, fast forward their capabilities rather than necessarily bringing that, um, bringing that all uh, through in-house. Um, but that said, um, a few of the traditional um, companies, EDF Energy and uh, and, and increasingly SSE now looking at their desk, Centrica as well, uh, all growing their own in-house capabilities. So I think we're we're still seeing a healthy level of competition in the market um, from both the incumbents and, and the standalone optimizers. Yeah. Coming back to where the batteries are. So I can't quite picture a 200 megawatt battery in terms of how big it would be, but uh, are, what, is there any patterns as to where these batteries are being built? For example, co-located with a wind farm or more nearer to the point of demand where there might be congestion or, or a mixture? Yes, I guess one, one big restriction in general in the UK is, is, grid, is grid connection availability and grid connection capacity. So I guess one place these are getting built is where there's grid connections available. And that could be not anywhere, but... Yeah, yeah. and it could be on the site of, you know, previous power stations that have been decommissioned, for example. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> in terms of when there's a choice being made of where these are going to be located in order to, I guess, capture greater revenues, it's potentially um, potentially looking at parts of the system where there are more constraints. So essentially where power, where wind has been curtailed, for example, because yeah. the power, the network is unable to deliver that power to, to consumers. Um, and that presents a, 
a potential additional revenue stream for the battery in terms of being able to charge rather than curtail the wind and, and, yeah. uh, and get paid to, to do that. Um, so we are looking at, you know, we have seen people looking at batteries in, in Scotland, for example, where there's, where there's higher constraints in general on the network. Yeah. Over the last 12 months, the constraint cost, the spend from National Grid ESO has exceeded two billion pounds. So there's there's really a huge opportunity for, for batteries to, to to reduce that cost. And I guess the danger with that, though, for a battery is if there's too much constraints, then you don't have an opportunity to discharge the battery. So <laughs> there's potentially a balance to be struck between finding somewhere where there's enough constraint but not too much. Cause for a lot of modelling, I would imagine, Chris. <laughs> Um, might we get to a point where storage does such a good job of smoothing out the volatility and the constraints that the opportunities for storage, the economics of storage suffer? I think it's definitely possible that you'll go through this, that sort of, um, those sort of cycles where there might be a bit of overbuild mm. and then you get overly smoothed. I think the general direction is that there's going to be more needed over the long term because just more and more renewables being put into the system. You know? We know we're near the end of building out a renewable electricity system. Exactly. And we know we're near the end of, we're just at the right, very beginning of electrification of heat yeah. and transport. Exactly. Yeah. The, the actual demand on the on the system, on the power system will, will grow as well as that yeah. increasing penetration. So those swings of uh, peak demand um, when renewables drop off, that, that just will go yeah. larger and larger. But one thing I think we will see is more specialisation. So at the moment, the stationary battery uh, market has largely been following the EV um, battery supply. So it's lithium-ion batteries, and it's moved from NMC to LFP, which is slightly cheaper, but they're not technologies that are focused on the needs of the electricity system. Yeah. And we are seeing the emergence of new technologies where oh, and new chemistries for batteries that could, in as, as time goes by, fit, fit a niche in the needs of the system um, in a way that, that will end up with different types of batteries in different areas providing different services. Like flow batteries, for example? We could have flow batteries, there's iron air, um, sodium ion which is, is more similar to lithium yeah. ion but doesn't have the energy density required to put it in a box on wheels and move it around yeah but is potentially more um more suited to um putting in a container in a field um to provide services to the electricity system rather than to the ev owner I read a depressing article a few years ago that said no technology has ever been commercialized specifically for the electricity system. If you think of uh, <laughs> yeah, gas engines, yeah. gas turbines, probably even solar panels were space yeah. originally, maybe. <laughs> All technologies have been commercialized or developed for some other applications and then hoovered up by the energy sector. <laughs> yeah. Lithium-ion, I guess, is a point in case. Um, those other technologies, are they likewise coming from other areas or will this break the trend, break the, the history that something has been developed for the electricity sector for the first time? I think it's likely that it will. Some, some of these are um, being developed for the electricity sector, but 
that I think that door has been opened by the emergence yeah. of lithium iron, yeah. which um, really has come of age in the electricity sector. It is competing with the traditional pumped hydro for for storage and looking at the additions of new storage capacity over the next 10 years. Yeah. Um, it, it is largely lithium iron batteries that are in the pipeline. Okay. So a lot more growth for storage, even if we may see cases where there's a bit of overbuild and it takes a bit of time for the market need to rise up again. Uh, but no shortage in overall demand long term for, for storage. Absolutely. Um, the UK is probably far ahead of other European countries in how much storage there is. Is the UK, If we look back, will we see the UK as a sort of outlier or is the UK a forerunner of what we're going to see across Europe? So the, the, the UK market is different to, to other countries, mm -hmm. so it's more of an island, less interconnected. Yeah. Uh, however, we are seeing the growth of pipelines in a number of other countries, um, but not necessarily growing in the same way or with the same drivers. So Germany is probably the other large market um, in, in, in Europe that's been driven by the residential sector. Italy was seeing strong growth that's being driven both by residential and um, the, the front and meter sector, thanks to the super bonus and the, um, the capacity market. Mm. There's a huge pipeline in Greece that, that dwarfs their actual generation capacity. Wow. And um, looking at the opportunities there for storage, whether it's on the islands uh, to replace diesel or on the mainland and then to have interconnectors and being able to co-locate with solar, store renewable generation and send that to uh, other parts of Europe. There, there are different opportunities and different drivers, but in terms of the, the pipeline of storage projects, we're seeing more and more across uh, nearly every country in Europe. So that sounds to me like the UK is a bit of an outlier in some ways in that it's got some more unique circumstances, being an island, being on the edge of the connected European system. But the overall trend will be the same across Europe, but how that plays out country by country might be quite different. Yeah, and I think the need was was catalyzed in, in the UK for those for those reasons. Um, but then the creation of, of revenue streams that incentivize batteries um, and the, the very rapid deployment of wind recently in mm. the UK as well, um, allowed the UK to, to uh, fast forward really its, its storage deployment. But that's also then given investors confidence yeah. that, that battery storage does realize uh, real revenues and they can see it both in frequency response and wholesale opportunities as well. And, and we're now seeing a lot of investors who have invested in the UK already start to turn their attention to Europe and, and look for other opportunities. So be it the investor confidence, be it specialist optimizers that are now looking to put their skills into other markets, be it individuals with that capacity that are looking elsewhere. Um, the UK has served to really kickstart the confidence and capability and that will speed up the growth across Europe. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. I'm going to bring up the talking new energy crystal ball now and let's, uh, wind forward to 2030 and 
I'd like each of you to give me one, imagine you're in 2030, one observation of the storage sector in 2030, one thing that will change that might be different, where we might have reached, any different angle you want, uh, plus one, one of your biggest challenges that you see for the storage sector. So, uh, yeah, who would like to, I've sprung that on you uh, now. Yeah. <laughs> who would I'll, like to have a go with that first? Uh, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go first before my idea is taken. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> Chris and John. Um, I think the, uh, the emergence of the four-hour battery will be something that we're seeing uh, more and more by 2030. So longer duration. So longer, longer duration. Yeah. So still intraday. Still, still looking at that intraday. Yeah. Um, but really, as we as we uh, deploy significantly more wind, and Chris will have the numbers on on how much uh, we think there'll be by 2030. Um, but as as those peaks and troughs get broadened by larger wind patterns, the opportunity for those longer duration batteries uh, okay. will will be there. Um, the the barrier, I think we sort of touched on it earlier, but the uh, I think the commodity prices and the the evolution of the next couple of years. Um, particularly with uh, with relative macro drivers. Is that the actual evolution or is it the uncertainty or both? Uh, I think both, actually. Yeah. Um, regardless of other drivers in the market, high gas prices help batteries because they capture bigger spreads. Right. So as Chris said, if that crashes um, earlier than, than people are forecasting, that will, that will be a challenge potentially to get future projects away. Okay, John or Chris, trade off between a bit more thinking time or getting your point in first. <laughs> um, I mean, we've already sort of touched on it, but I think it's a, a diversity of of the storage sector. So at the moment, we're pretty much all pretty much all lithium ion, one hour or less, one and a half hour or less batteries in the system. Whereas I think we'll see a more diverse range. What, some doing the very fast acting, short term. Some doing fast acting. Some doing yeah. Some. James already said longer duration, but some yeah. longer duration yeah. stuff, and some with and some potentially with those newer technologies as well coming in, yeah. um, and I guess and potentially longer duration storage as well, which I guess this this we're focusing on battery storage in this discussion. Yeah. Some longer duration storage looks across multiple days in the system as well. Okay, um, I think that I think and I think one of the challenges is a lot of policy uncertainty at the moment. There's you know the government. I think rightly is looking into ways that it can kind of update the market arrangements in the UK to kind of best. Um, you know, drive forward the, the net zero transition. Yeah. But I think that presents quite a bit of uncertainty. Are when you're changing and reforming markets, yeah. it makes it hard to have certainty. Are we going to have location and pricing? Is there going to be some changes to the way that renewables are supported or storage is supported, yeah. capacity options and those sorts of things? So there's, there's some uncertainty right now, which presents a bit of a challenge But for people who are doing modeling like me and yeah. presumably for people who are, uh, are, are investing in these, in these assets as well. So more more sensitivity analysis and more scenarios then, Chris, yeah, in the exactly, modeling. Exactly, yeah. yeah, I think for me tying a lot of that together, we will see evolution of markets. We will see more long duration storage. I think we're probably going to be surprised at how longer batteries can compete for multi-day or can compete with multi-day technologies um, because of the capacity of batteries that, that we're going to have on the system. 
Um, having said that, getting the grid connections, getting them connected is still a challenge. It's going to be an ongoing challenge. And we really need to see a change in the mindset from the network operators, from assuming that a battery in a congested area is going to uh, increase that congestion when the investment case for making it is to resolve huh. congestion. Yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like a hugely exciting time for battery storage in the UK. And if you're listening in another country where it's not exciting yet, it sounds like that <laughs> may well be coming to your country soon. Um, like with probably every aspect of the energy transition, not short of challenges, but big opportunity to help us move to a more renewable, more electrified energy system. John, Jeev, Chris, thanks for sharing your time. Uh, Thank you, John. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, it's been a fascinating whistle-stop tour of the, the UK uh, battery storage sector and looking beyond that. Hope that uh, everyone listening has learned a bit today and taken some new uh, learning, thinking, inspiration perhaps back to your day jobs in the energy transition. Thanks for listening and look forward to welcoming you back next week. Thanks and goodbye. If you enjoy the podcast, then please rate it and share it with your friends and colleagues. If you're as passionate about the energy transition as we are, then you can keep in touch with us and look at our research insights, podcast transcripts, and download reports, all at www.lcpdelta.com. Thank you.